welcome to Full of Bones for Tuesday, August 23rd, 2022. Tonight we welcome Pastor Bob Pittenger from Battle Creek Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He is the adult engagement lead with oversight over small groups. So we're talking small groups tonight here on Full of Bones. So glad that you joined us. Here we go, Full of Bones. So glad to have Bob Pittenger with us tonight. He is the adult engagement lead at Battle Creek Church in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And, uh, but he is also um, an old college friend of mine. We started the same semester and graduated close to the same semester. I think he was a semester before me. I took a semester off and we stayed in the dorms at Florida Baptist Theological College together. And uh, he got married about a year before I did. And so we're friends, been friends for all these years later. But He's now at Battle Creek, and I want to welcome Bob in tonight. Hey, Bob, how are you doing? Doing great, man. It's great to be with you this evening. Appreciate you having me on. Hey, no problem. Sorry about that glitch with the audio. Um, hopefully it is working and people can actually hear us. Otherwise, we just look silly talking to ourselves and no audio. But um, we're recording at the same time, so we'll... Uh, We'll, we'll make sure it gets posted later. Um, but we want to start talking and, and kind of catch up a little bit here. Um, start with just tell us who you are, uh, your family, a little bit about yourself. Who is Bob Pittenger for those who don't know him? Yeah, so uh, as I said, I'm Bob Pittenger. I'm, I'm the adult engagement pastor here at Battle Creek Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, I've been in vocational ministry about 28 years and have been married to my wife, Shirley, for 28 years. We actually met in our first uh, New Testament class at Florida Baptist Theological College way back in 1993 and got married six months later. And uh, so we, we've been in ministry together our whole marriage. Uh, we have one son, William. Yesterday was his first day of college at the University of Tulsa. So this has been an interesting week uh, for us as a family. Lots of new things going on. Uh, as far as being at Battle Creek Church, I've been here six and a half years uh, dealing with groups and, and adult engagement, which is really adult discipleship. Gotcha. Now, your um, your son, he, is he on campus or is he staying living at home? He's staying living at home. We're only about uh, 10, 15 miles from the campus. And so they get, granted him permission to live at home, which he really liked. He, he thinks dorm life is too chaotic. And I tried to tell him that that's part of the fun. But yeah. He doesn't like chaos, so he's going to stay at home in our chaos. Yes, yes, dorm life. We could talk about dorm life for a while tonight. Uh, we won't. There's always that one memory that I have about you in dorm life, but um, we won't go there tonight, at least on air. But um, tell us about your role at um, Battle Creek Church and how you got there and your role specifically. What are you responsible for there? Sure. So six years, six and a half years ago, I was senior pastor at Living Oaks Baptist Church. I'd been there 11 years as a senior pastor. And uh, the, the church, we um, Battle Creek had an opportunity to buy the property next door to us. And uh, the, the pastor and I had been friends for 20 years. And he says, hey, man, I don't want to drop a mega church on top of you and, and another one. What do you think about us joining together and merging and Living Oaks becoming our South Campus in South Tulsa? And uh, so we took two weeks to pray about it. We met and 60 days later, we voted as a church to merge. Wow. And uh, they said, hey, we want to give you six months to see if you're a good fit for us and if we're a good fit for you and just see how it goes. And, and uh, about 30 days in, their groups person left. And they said, would you be willing to try groups? And I said, man, I'll try anything. I've, I've been a part of Sunday school, small groups in the home. Uh, part of my degree from Florida Baptist was in Christian education. I said, I'll I'll give it a try. And after six months, they brought me on and then they put me over uh, groups over six campuses. 
and then eventually they moved me up to the adult engagement. So I'm over all adult discipleship. Wow. That, how many groups in total do you have responsibility over now? So right now we're running about 300 groups, just under 300. Gotcha. And, and how many people does that 300 groups represent roughly? Uh, about about 3,000 people. Wow. Okay. So if you're listening to this, because um, this will be turned into an audio podcast, Bob, tomorrow and put on, um, it's on all the podcasting platforms as an audio version. If you just heard, wow, he's got 3,000 people in small groups, don't tune out yet. I, I know that I am a small church guy. I, I love the small church, and I really do this whole podcast for the small church pastor. We're going to, I have challenged Bob tonight to make sure that when we get into the weeds a little bit, he's going to downsize this thing for the small church. Because, yeah, we're not all, you know, I know last Sunday we were off a little bit from the 3,000 mark. We were about 75. And uh, so so hang with us tonight. Don't don't turn out because if you're going, that's just a big church thing. It's not going to uh, be for me. Um, but one of the things that as I've talked with Bob over the years and, and as he's been at Battle Creek, one of the things that intrigues me about the way that that he does small groups is the way that it connects the small group to the Sunday morning sermon. And, and I think that's important because the pastor spends so much time and to, to, you know, hours to getting ready for that Sunday morning sermon. And it's like a one-time shot and then and it's over. But the, what they're doing there at Battle Creek is connecting the Sunday morning sermon to the small group, but it's the way in which they're doing it. And I've already taken some of what Bob and I've talked about previously and applied it to my Sunday school. And I'll talk about that in a minute, but Bob explain how you connect the Sunday morning sermon to the small group that meets during the week. Sure, and I would say this, um, I've, I've been in ministry 28 years. This is the seventh church I've been on staff. And before this church, all the churches I was in, especially a senior pastor, when I went there, they were running anywhere from 56 to 150. And so I spent the vast majority, well, 22 years of ministry in a smaller attendance church. And, and so the principles that we've tried to apply to groups at Battle Creek um, are the same principles that we would we'd encourage uh, churches of any size uh, to do. I visited with the church um, up in Ohio a while back, and they were a smaller church, and we just shared principles, and, and they worked for them. They were able to double their groups um, by the way they implemented uh, the, the small group, uh, what I would call the pizza groups. We'll talk about that later. Okay. But the way they implemented they were able to double their groups. So one of the things that we do is I love uh, Lifeway. I love the Lifeway literature, um, but it, it almost seems like sometimes that Sunday school has become Bible trivia. You know, it's, <laughs> hey, how, how, what do you know? And, and so it's a lot of somebody lecturing. And, and we like to use the term that uh, circles are better than rows and, and that life is better together. And it, if Sunday school is all about lecturing, then it's not, it's about rows. It's not about circles. And so people aren't discussing real learning, real life happens in circles. And so uh, when I came here, that was obviously who we were as a church. Um, life groups were important, small groups in the home. We, we really don't have any place on our facility for Sunday school for adults. And in fact, we have it for preschool, elementary, and students, but we have them in small groups. So they have a, a master teacher type thing, go to a small group. So we decided to leverage that with our community groups. And we took the pastor's message. And what I wanted to do was figure out a way to make it applicable to their life. And so I have the central idea, I read over his message, I pull out the main points, and then I figure out, all right, he's teaching on forgiveness or he's teaching on anxiety. And I wanna figure out what's he really teaching about and then build the questions around that. 
So, for example, um, a few years back, he was teaching a sermon on untangling your anxiety. And one week was on, hey, uh, it, when your anxiety is out of control, what does it look like? And he talked about healthy concern versus unhealthy anxiety and what the differences are. And so we had a short teaching time of about 10 minutes of, hey, here's what it looks like in life application. And then the questions when they went to the group uh, kind of went like this. The first question we asked was, when your anxiety is out of control, which does it look more like? Do you feel like you're being pecked to death by a chicken? <laughs> chicken little lives in your head? Or you're about to be crushed by a 100-foot wave? And, and that was the first question. You know, most questions in Sunday school end up with, if you say, Jesus, John the Baptist, the Ten Commandments, or John 3.16, you got a good chance to get the question right. Yeah. So we wanted to make questions that were about life application, in your opinion, when anxiety is out of control. So now everybody in the room is an expert about themselves. Mm. And so we asked questions to, to draw out, where are you? So this way, whether you're a brand new Christian, a seeker, an atheist, or a longtime Christian, you're answering the question honestly. And I always tell people, for me, when anxiety is out of control, Chicken Little lives in my head. <laughs> I mean, he is telling me all the ways that the sky is falling and how everything can go wrong. Um, and so that, that's kind of the way we've started structuring our questions is taking the central idea, having a teaching time that covers, hey, this is what it looks like from the 10,000-foot view, and then making our questions solely about how does it apply to the individual who's answering the question. And those questions then become the the springboard for discussion within the small group setting. So one question may take 10 minutes to answer. Yeah, especially if you have 10, 15 people in the room with everybody being an expert and you want everyone to answer. Um, introverts tend to let the extroverts answer, but when you're asking questions about in your opinion or describe how you feel, now introverts say, oh, I can answer that because this isn't scary. I, I know the answer to this. And then they're willing to discuss and so if we have an hour, most of our groups are set up on a two-hour basis. They have a meal in the home, uh, which is about a half hour. Then they have a 10-minute video for the sermon series questions. And then that leaves an hour and 15 minutes for them to just talk about um, the questions. And gotcha. so there, there's no real lecture time. It's all Now, I say that, but every once in a while, the, the question will say to the leader, before asking this question, read this Bible verse. Then you ask the question because it, it relates to the verse and the overall life application of the message. Gotcha. And I, I we, we had this talk a couple of weeks ago, Bob, and I said, man, that, that's what I'm missing in my Sunday school because I'm, I'm teaching Sunday school in our class, our church. And I'm, it's just one adult class. And um, I what I was missing was the application that we're going through every book of the Bible. You know, one Sunday is the complete book of Genesis background, you know, key thoughts, key people. And so I took what you had told me and I. Um, we were in, um, I guess, Samuel, and my application, I, now it's at the end of the lesson that I type out, it's now applying the 66, because the, the, the curriculum I'm writing is called Understanding, then it's applying, and I said, um, when, you, when you face the giants in your life, the challenges in your life, are you more like um, Saul, who avoided it, uh, the Israelites who were scared of it, or David, who runs at it? And, and all of a sudden they started talking and, and instantly everybody was engaged and answering because, again, they were experts on themselves. So I appreciate what you did just telling me that because I was like, oh, that, that's all. And it, it adds a really great dynamic at the end of Sunday school as they're sharing that. We haven't moved to small groups. We're just still more traditional Sunday school. 
Um, but this work yeah. in Sunday school, this does not have to be in, we, our paradigm is in home small groups because we have no place for Sunday school in our facilities, but this can work the same thing in a Sunday school classroom. And, yeah. and it does create, and so like going back to the untangling your anxiety, our first question was, which of these is true? Peck to death by a chicken, chicken little, a hundred foot wave. But the second question is, have, um, what is your trigger that leads to you, your anxiety being out of control? And what was really interesting about that question was those who knew, like my trigger is I don't like surprises and I don't like being afraid. That's mm. what triggers my chicken little effect <laughs> and causes me to go off the rails. But when I recognize that there's fear in my life, now then I know what's coming and I can start preparing myself spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. Like, hey, this is this is how you're going to handle this. Mm. But there were people in the room, they're like, well, wait, wait, what do you mean by a trigger? And so now somebody who has discovered what their trigger is that causes their anxiety to get out of control, shares their testimony of how they overcome it. And now they're helping this person learn to discover their, their trigger. So now the, the leaders quit teaching and somebody else, an attender of the group is sharing their testimony. And so it allows everybody in the room to be an expert at something. Gotcha. Hey, you mentioned this, you said the, the two hour, you know, starts with the dinner and then the video. Can you explain the video aspect of, how that gets done, who does that, and where does that video Because you're doing everything in-house. This is really your job, right? Yeah. Yeah, yes. okay. So what we do is we have, we call it Studio B. They, and it's because our, we have a creative team that does the Sunday morning broadcast. We broadcast to six campuses and, and then obviously online. But they don't always have time to record the group uh, studies, lessons that I have. So I get the pastor's manuscript, and I, I read through it. And I want to take the big picture of what he's saying, because one of the things our leader said is we're tired of a recap. Bob, don't do a video. of Hey, here's where the here was the pastor's three points and a poem and how he finished it. We want you to give us something new. Mm. And so I read through it. Say, All right. What's the big picture? What he's trying to tell us back to anxiety. It's how to keep anxiety where it's supposed to be, how to how to have concern in a godly way and not anxiety in a worldly way. And so my video, it's it's always eight to 10 minutes. Um, they want as much time as discussion as possible. And so that means my video is straight to the point. I dive in, uh, don't do a whole lot of building up with illustrations or anything like that. And I fit them in where I can. But the video is all about, hey, what does this look like in my life? If I'm applying uh, how to be concerned and not anxious, what does this look like? Does, is that kind of what you're looking for? Yeah, yeah. So, so you're taking that, you're making that video but you're doing that because you're getting that. This is the other thing I found kind of amusing. You're getting these messages six weeks in advance. Yes. So yeah, your yes, pastor sir. is writing messages. Six. So for all the pastors out there who, like me, are Friday night, Saturday guys, not for six weeks down the road, but for the you know for two days, this is going to be a little bit more of a struggle. So we may have to find some ways to tweak how that works six weeks out. Six weeks anyway. Um, yeah. Well, and I would say this because um, <laughs> as the guy, I was a senior pastor for 19 years, and so. I get it. I mean, six weeks. I mean, I was hoping I was six minutes ready. You know, <laughs> Sunday morning during Sunday school, I'm I'm still putting the last touches on. In fact, I think was it you that used to tell me that you you did everything except the the um, the opening illustration, and you always did it on Sunday morning. You would go in early on Sunday morning and do the opening. Is that you that told me that? Oh, I I did the I did the opening. But then my sermon was an outline, and Sunday morning I would get there from 6.30 to 8 o'clock, and I would put the meat on the bones on That's Sunday what, Yeah. I know, I know there was somebody that you had, you know, 90% of it done, but you would go in on Sunday morning to, to you know, baste it one more time and get it ready to come out of the oven. So 
Um, I had to let it percolate in my brain, and uh, and then I had to hope that it found a way out to the to the computer. Yeah, I call it I call it putting it in the uh, crock pot. If I can get yeah. it in the crock pot by Thursday afternoon, it has time to stew because it always tastes better if it has time to get all the ingredients to mix together. Lately, it's been popping it in the microwave on Saturday afternoons, but football More season. Like tart sermon than it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but football season I, starts on Saturday, so I got to get ahead of the game. There you go. I, but I would say, as a senior pastor, when you're writing your message. There are certain things you're going to say that um, just make notes out to the side that says, hey, um, like I was just working on one. We're, we're working through a simple uh, series now called The Temple, and the pastor is walking through seven aspects of the temple. And this week he's on the sacrifice, the blood sacrifice. And um, he made a comment uh, about how it was a bloody it's a bloody business, that salvation mm. is a bloody business. And I wanted to build on that. So you'll make statements in your sermon, either in your outline or your manuscript. I would circle it and draw a line out or get another piece of paper and say, make a question about why it's a bloody business. So for me, uh, I ran to the scripture in, in Hebrews, you know, where it says without the shedding of the blood, there's no forgiveness or erasing or uh, removing of sin. And then then I, I went to Hebrews 7, 9, and 10. And the next part of my video was uh, the teaching time was about how he did it once for all time and, and that he wasn't like the high priest that had to go back um, every year. Jesus did it once for all time. So his blood was shed once for all time. So our sin has for, been forgiven from the day we're born to the day we die. Our sins are completely forgiven once we come into Christ. So, so I, yeah. I take those, make notes on what you're doing and build questions out of that as well as teaching time. So you're not just taking the pastor's message. You sometimes go and find more stuff that not that he missed it but you actually dig a little bit deeper on maybe one or two little points that he makes that's where you're digging in a little bit more exactly that's okay. it exactly okay now here's where i here's where i chip my challenge you have a staff your pastor has a staff i've been to y'all's website and the page of leaders scrolls and scrolls and scrolls and and mine has me and rick and most guys you know are one guy so how does the one guy that's trying to start a small group and um, whether that's starting one group with five guys and you just say, I want to do a D group with you and we're going to launch it. And, and, and then, you know, we'll talk how to expand and multiply that. How does one guy make what you're doing and your team doing? How does that work in the small church? And I know you haven't really had to do that in a small church, but how would you do that? If, if all of a sudden God called you to a church of 75 somewhere in Oklahoma and you didn't have the resources that you have now, how would you make what you're doing work there? That's my yeah, question. Great question. So my last church before the merger, probably about three years before the merger, um, we had been going through exponential growth. We had grown from 100. Uh, we were averaging 2 to 250. We were um, we were looking at buying property to build a building. We, we had run out of Sunday school place, uh, space for adults, kids, students. We had three or four adult classrooms meeting in the worship center. Um, because we were just out of space and we were looking to build and do all these things. So we, we were really excited about what we were doing. And, and then we had some people get their nose out of joint and cause some problems. And a year later, we were down to 65 people. We wow. went from averaging two to 250 down to 65. And so a group of us got together and said, we have to do something or we're going to die. Mm. And what we were finding is a lot of people were visiting the church, but they didn't like Sunday school. They didn't want to come to Sunday school. They wanted to come to a worship experience. So I, I got four key leaders, and I said, here's what I want us to do. 
we have Sunday school. We know what it is, but it's more of a lecture time. I want a time where people can grow and ask questions and, and that the lessons are shorter, so there's time to discuss. I said, but I want to do it in the homes, and we'll do it on, on uh, Sunday night and Wednesday night so that we have child care at the church since we already have it, and we'll do that. Turned out the four families wanted to do it on Wednesday night, which was fine. And so we just shared, we started out with some key heartfelt studies that were easy to go through. We, we wanted to start with four to six week studies. We didn't want to do an experience in God because that'll, that's a great study, but it'll kill a group because it's too long, too much homework. We needed everything to be in the group. Uh, and so we did Crazy Love by Francis Chan. Uh, we did No Fear. Um, I can't remember the guy's name who did that. It's, it's K-N-O-W, Fear, No Fear. Um, and then we did a couple of others. And people started going to those, and people that were visiting started going. And that's kind of how we got small groups in the home. So we didn't do away with Sunday school. We just said, hey, we, Sunday school is like 101. We want a 201 so that you can grow deeper and, okay. and have a chance to discuss and, and investigate. Uh, and we had some groups. They went to the Baptist faith and message. You know, they were the ones that you remember in Corinthians, I follow Paul, I follow Peter, we follow Christ. Yeah. Those were the people that would have said that at First Corinthians, First Baptist Corinthians. So. Yeah. <laughs> now, you had youth and children's activities happening at the church while the adults were at the home. Is that, is that what yes. you told me? Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, they could drop them off and do that. Now, some of the leaders, they wanted their kids there. And so what they did is they, they got one of the students to come to the house. They had the kids in the back room, and they just played in the back room. And uh, they, for the meal, they would come into the kitchen or whatever and do the meal together. And then, then they would go to their room and take off from there. Um, okay. Sorry, my my little one was uh, interrupted this live again. Um, so that that one pastor, and, and this happened a couple of years ago. I, I I knew we needed to start some discipleship groups more than just Sunday school. You know, it was like because Sunday school, and I'm not a big fan of Lifeway. It just you're right. It's 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 information transformation, or uh, it's just transforming uh, information from one person to another. There's no not a lot of application. Well, the application is written for the large church in Tennessee that, you know, there's divide your group into 12 small groups of 22 people. I, I have 12 people, so that's not going to work for me. Um, what do, so we, I invited seven guys to be a part of a discipleship group. Five said yes. And that group ultimately grew to 15. I missed, um, I missed the opportunity to split. And I think that's ultimate because what happens, it, it kind of peaked and then it slowly, and we were meeting off campus, we were meeting at a restaurant, and it was really good experience, and it was growing, and it was healthy, and we were using some, we're actually using Lifeway, that stuff that's uh, the way, the truth, the life, the, there's like five books, little, little discipleship books. So you mentioned earlier about the pizza analogy about splitting. What, when do you split a group? When, when do you, when should I have done that? Cause I think I ultimately, I, I, I rode the wave too long and then it, it, it's, we have not started back yet. We're supposed to start back up in, in September. Yeah. So one of the things that um, I, I tell group leaders, you should never um, be doing it alone. We, we say, uh, in fact, I, I keep drinking from the cup. Life is better together, right? Life is better together. Uh, it's also better together when a leader has a co-leader. And you start the group intentionally. In fact, we have a church, uh, a group's covenant that we give to leaders. And it describes, and it's no, it's not a lot of big rules. It's things we want them to do. But one of the things is we want you to equip another leader so they can go and start a group. And so you intentionally start to, hey, listen, uh, we're going to do this. I don't know if you've ever read the book, um, Real Life Discipleship, or I think it's Real Life Discipleship. And it's 
It's about the church in someplace up in the northwest. They started out with six people in a small group. Now the church runs several thousands because they just kept growing group after group after group. Oh, wow. So you have to intentionally say, we're going to start this. You know, Joe is starting it with me or my wife and I are doing it and Joe and, and Susie are doing it. And, and when we reach 12, you six are going to go there. Us six, we're going to go here and we're going to start and build again. And so you have to be intentional like that. I think another way to do it, and I'm going to share what we do. I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt. I'm going to interrupt right there. What happens though? And um, so we had grown to 15, 15 or 16. What happens when you split the group, but one group fails or, or fades, let's use the word fades mm-hmm. instead of fails. Um, and then all of a sudden the people from that group start to migrate back in. Well, that one, that one, you know, like how do you do that when there's a small group? Cause, cause it's one thing if you got 300 groups and one of them kind of fizzles out, but if you got two groups and one fizzles out, it's really public and it's, yeah. it can be messy. And so how, how would you deal with the group that fizzles and all of a sudden, do you bring them back together? Do you let them be a, a big group or do you put a different leader in there, which in a small church, you know, it's going to be kind of awkward. So, yeah, I, we we actually had that happen uh, in the church before I came here when we made groups. We had a group that grew from from ten to to twenty five just in a few months, and we had a guy in there, one of the best teachers in the world. And the reason why the group fizzled is because he went out and made it all lecture. Mm. And so they they had twelve. This one had twelve, and and the, the 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 new group, everybody was back in the other group because he was just lecturing. And you know sometimes. Sometimes you just got to own it. And we just said, all right, so what do we learn from this? And we sat him down. And he, at one point, he was chairman of deacons. And so he was a guy that was used to being out in front of people. But we just sat down and talked, why didn't this work? And we were honest about it. We brought him together. We talked. He said, all right, this is what we want you to do. We want you to take the next two months, come back together as one group, have some healing. Let's have a definite plan on what study you're going to do and, and how you're going to do the questions and how you're going to prevent it from being lecture time. Cause that's what killed it was lecture. Gotcha. And, and so that helped them. They felt like they had a say in it that we trust. And we didn't say, Hey, cause we have a sailing saying on my team, if you're going to fail, fail forward. Now fail cheaply, but fail forward. <laughs> right. And yeah. so we wanted to help them fail forward and not feel like it was a big, Hey, I'm a loser. It's like, I tried something that didn't work. Great. What do we have to do to change it, to make it work? Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and that can be awkward in the smaller church because everybody knows oh that didn't work or or whatever but i at some point we have to start being honest with each other i think too with your way of doing it there at battle creek by providing the lesson through that video it almost can't be a lecture because you're doing the teaching part right yeah right okay well like my men's group we we meet on um thursday mornings at 6 30 at chick-fil-a and what we do is we go through a book to keep it from being lecture. Like we went through uh, Jerry Bridges, The Practice of Godliness, and uh, we read a chapter, and I tell the guys, highlight or underline what you think is important, make notes on why it's important and, and how it challenged you, and and then we're going to come together we're going to talk about it. I do the same thing they do. I underline things. I write the things that are out, and I'll say, all right, uh, this book, this chapter is divided into four sections. Let's, let's take the first section. What did you guys see? Mm. And, and this way it keeps her from lecturing. Now, if you ask my guys, they would say most Thursday mornings over the last six years, there's been at least one five-minute segment where I gave a mini-sermon. And so, 
you well, know, you can take the preacher, but you can't, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But most of the time, we we, uh, we have ten, We get there at 6.30. I get there at 6 o'clock, get the table set up. I eat. I read back through. And then 6.15, they get there. From 6.15 to 6.40, we talk. And then 6.40 to 7.30, it's tell me what you saw. And that, that prevents people from it being a lecture. Every once in a while, we'll have somebody new in the group that they try to take over, and they want to answer everybody's question, and we have to pull them off to the side and just say, hey, listen, this, we're not here looking for help. We're here to talk about what we're seeing. Yeah, You can share about how that happened in your life, but don't try and help the guys unless they ask for help. So is your men's group one of your small groups? Mm-hmm. Okay, yes. so that's not a two-hour on a, on a Thursday morning then. No, we, we right. don't do the meal together, so we just do one hour. Okay. Y'all are basically eating and Bible studying at the same time because everybody's mm-hmm. heading off to work. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Now, you, you have told me, and, and we're kind of starting to run out of time here, but you have told me that not every group is is that two-hour block, that you have different types of groups that do meet from time to time. Just what are some of the other groups that you have? Um, yeah. So we have what we call freedom groups. In fact, they're meeting tonight. I can hear the music. I don't know if you all can, but we have Celebrate Recovery, that they're in the middle of their worship time. We have Financial Peace University, Divorce Care, Grief uh, Share. We're trying to start cancer care and prison care. Um, we're working on those. We also have something called Embrace Life. Uh, it's a ministry to um, unmarried uh, women that are pregnant, that, uh, that mostly teenagers have gotten pregnant outside of marriage, and we want to minister to them and let them know God still has a plan for their life. Uh, right now, we don't have it going, but we used to have something beyond her choice. It was a ministry we did to women and men, uh, the, the women who had had an abortion, as well as um, whether it was their boyfriend or their husband or whatever, that we would have them come in and minister to them, let them know, hey, this was a decision that you made, but where are you going to go from here? What does God want from you from this point on? The, the abortion was over and done, mm. and so many women live in guilt, the men too, live in guilt afterwards, that we want to know, listen, God still loves you and has a plan for you. So those are our freedom groups. Gotcha. And then we have um, what I would call equipping or affinity groups. Like we've got a bunch of guys to get together to play basketball. That probably the most spiritual thing that they they do is slap each other on the back and say, see you later, you know, but they, they get to know the guys, they connect them. We want them to have a long on-ramp and connect them to the men. And, and then after they've been playing basketball for a month or so, they'll say, hey guys, when we finish tonight, we're going to have a 15 minute devotion. And at the end of the year, nine months later, they play basketball for a half hour and may have a half hour devotion, or they've moved them into a traditional community group. So we, we have a, a, a a group that their motorcycle, they get together and they ride their motorcycle on weekends and they go on trips and they'll park underneath a tree or at a park or someplace, have a study, then get back on their bikes and ride the six hours back home and, and, and do things like that. And you don't have to have a hundred people to play basketball or ride bikes. If you have four or five that want to do those, there's a group. And yeah, so you're, exactly. you're capitalizing on any commonality that'll bring people together beca- can become a group underneath your umbrella of groups. Yeah. Okay. And that's one of the things when I first came, um, they, they were using a model that you couldn't start a group unless you had 10 to 12 people. And once you had 16, they forced them to, to uh, they tried multiply and launch and all that. And, and I always just say, we, we tell people you want you to come together and do a group. But then after you get so big, we're going to make you divorce one another. <laughs> um, and so we have some groups that purposefully start with the purpose of starting as many groups as possible. We have one group leader. He would come in, train up a group of people. Um, they would develop a leader and a host. They would move to that home, and the new leader would take over. And then he would go and start a new group with no one but he and his wife. And they would get six or eight others, grow it, and develop it. And uh, one leader mm. we had in a 
six-year period of time, they started either five or seven groups. I can't remember what it wow. is. But then we have other things. We referenced earlier pizza groups, that we have other groups that it's three, maybe four people together. And what, what the pizza groups are, we have, um, uh, like this year, it's going to start January 15th. We have a series on uh, marriage that's starting. And we will tell people, get three people. Get three people and pizza's free. And what we do, we have a place here called Hideaway Pizza. It's one of the best pizzas in town. We'll go out and get a gift card big enough to, to uh, buy a large pizza, whatever that costs. And, and, and we have this in our budget. If you don't have this in your budget, you don't have to do the pizza groups. But it's just a way of enticing people. Get three, start a group, and we'll buy pizza for your first night. Mm. And, and so we give them the gift card, and they go and start a group. And over the last um, – we've been doing this three years now. Over the last three years – um, a third of our groups have started from pizza groups. Wow. And so we've had over 100 of our 300 groups start. And what it was is people would leave a group and say, I have family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, people I go to school with, who they won't come to church, but I can get them uh, into my house and talk about spiritual things. And so for those videos, the pastor shoots the videos for those. And okay. again, it's eight to 10 minutes. And then I write, I usually write the scripts. I do some ghostwriting for the pastor, and then he adjusts the scripts the way he wants. And then I write the questions to it. And so it's the same thing. Now, this is something we do. You're going to have to decide where you want to be as a pastor. But for us, because we're giving them the video, the questions, answers to the questions, um, and then we, we have someone call them. We, we have some volunteers that say, hey, I'll call these new leaders and check on them once a week or every other week. Because we're giving them that, we're comfortable with the person leading the group being a church member or not a church member, being a Christian or not a Christian. And I know you're saying you have a non-Christian leading a community group. First of all, it is a very closed group. It's for their friends because most lost people, Matt, who, who are the lost people going to be friends with? Lost people, yeah. That We don't have lost yes. friends. We only have saved friends. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you so know, it's just reality, allow, yeah. We allow people, whether a member or not, Christian or not, to lead the group. And what we found is these people were coming together as, uh, uh, you know, lost folks coming together, four of them studying it. And then what ends up happening, they end up coming to church uh, because they say they're watching the video of the pastor. They're getting questions. They know this person who's leading somehow is tied to Battle Creek Church. And then they come to church. And then we've been seeing people get saved. Basically, we have lost people sharing the gospel and they don't even know it. And so lost people are leading people to Christ. And so it's been a great experience, but you have to be comfortable with that as a pastor. This isn't, hey, I want to grow my church. It has to be a way that you want to control it to a certain extent in that, again, we give them the videos, the teaching, the questions, the answers, and a coach to follow up with them because you don't want to turn them loose because they can go off on a tangent. Especially if you have somebody that has some crazy theology or has a background of crazy theology, all of a sudden they're, they're, they're leading. They're not leading four, three people closer to the church. They're actually running away, you know, from the church or from yes, God. And we've yeah. actually had that happen. We had to step in and, and take care. But we had someone teaching. I, I had a group one time that, and, and listen, this is a pastor's nightmare. And this, this is why I don't <laughs> want to do small groups. And this stuff happens. We had a group one time that they were each week. They had a a different person would bring their favorite wine of the week. Oh, and then they would teach on if you if you vaccinated your kids, you were a bad parent. If you uh, didn't homeschool your kids, you were a bad parent. And if you didn't buy essential oils from somebody in the group, 
you were a bad, bad group parent. member. Yeah. And we had to sit down with that group and explain why none of that is what a community group was about. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're not even dealing with theology there. You're just like, listen, keep the essential oils at home. I, yeah. I, I was wondering if they were doing essential oils and drinking the wine at the same time and giving each other shots. Yeah. And this was I, long before COVID. So it wasn't even that. This oh, was my gosh. Shots to start school. We, so we, we, used to go into, we used to go to Haiti before it was kind of shut down and all that. But. Um, we had a lady, she, she did the essential oils. And, you know, if I said, man, I, I'm, I'm got a little runny nose on she go, I got an oil for that. I got an oil for that. I said, you know, one day I'm going to get my arm cut off and you're going to go, I got an oil for that. And you're going to put it on my arm. She's going to grow back. That's how magical essential oils are. And uh, I used to tease her and whenever she, somebody would say I have a headache or anything, I mean like any symptom at all, she would be like, Whoosh. I've got my essential oils here, and I'd be, I'd be like, here comes the witch doctor. She knows what she's, you know, <laughs> and she's like, I'm not the witch doctor. I'm like, eh, yeah, you kind of are. So anyway, I love her to death, and she'll never hear this, but Donna, if you ever hear it, I love you. You know I do. Um, hey, just to close up, thank you so much for taking time tonight, and I hope that pastors, whether they listen to this, the, the video later, or, you know, driving on the car, are encouraged by uh, what you said. I have already taken some of what you've told me in the past, and and already starting to see that they're, they're more engaged. It's almost they look forward. Uh, last Sunday, I saw them like looking to the application questions. They, they want to get to that, you know, but we'll get through the stuff and then they get to talk and they love people love to talk about themselves. And there's just a sense of, you know, community and they do it at table groups um, there in the fellowship hall. And so I appreciate you just enlightening me. And, you know, we've been doing this for a long time and um, I appreciate you coming on tonight. Anything you want to say? to that pastor tonight. Listen, I know there's a lot of pastors who are struggling tonight. Um, COVID has been hard. The economy, you know, people, when they when the economy hits, tithing is usually one of the first things people cut because they don't see the physical benefit or they're sitting there going, I can pay my mortgage or I can pay the tithe. And they think, well, if I don't pay my mortgage, then I lose my house and I, I'm homeless. And and I, I get it. I understand it. I've been there and I've fought the battle. Just an encouraging word to a pastor tonight from from a pastor. I'll give you the last word. Yeah, I would say, one, don't give up. Pray very, very hard. I know you are, already are. Um, one of the things when we went through our split, I didn't know how we were going to make it. And um, I, I did what I call a silence and solitude trip. I, I Somebody loaned me their pop-up camper, and uh, we took it to a nearby lake. And uh, I left my watch, my phone, everything in the car that I could get to it. But I didn't know what didn't want to know what time it was. Um, and uh, I went with, God, I need, I need a fresh word from you. I, and, and I didn't speak. I, I prayed. I read my Bible. Um, I, I had taken Jerry Bridges' book, The Practice of Godliness, and um, was, was focusing in on meditation, or I'm sorry, focusing in on um, patience, because I, I was lacking patience, and that's one of the fruit of the Spirit that that book's about. And then I also took Donald Whitney's book, The, the uh, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. And that's where I was looking at meditation and silence and solitude. I just wanted to focus on on God and pray and and share my heart with Him away from everybody else, where I could I could pry, uh, cry, pray, sleep, get up and go for a walk, and just be vulnerable in front of God, and, and nobody else interrupt me or bother me. And um, ultimately, we we merged with the church, and Living Oaks went away. But um, three other churches where I was senior pastor, uh, my my position was to come in they were dead or dying and and came in we were able to get through and it's finding what works for your church yeah. um, what works in oklahoma may not work in california or may not work in florida but it's not the step-by-step -step. what's the general idea 
And so I would say this, connect your people to people, and, and, and you'll watch your church grow. Because it's really what we're finding out here is it's all about connections and, and people being able to be honest, you know, vulnerable and transparent. Um, that's just such a big deal today. People, especially, we're growing really rapidly with um, 20-somethings and early 30s. And it's because we're giving them a place to say, this is how I feel, this is what I think. And let their theology be bad. Let their attitude be bad. Let them be selfish. Um, you know, I, I remember in Mark 5 where Jesus is dealing with the demoniac. It says he was in chains. He was naked and freaking everybody out, right? But it never said that Jesus said to him, get dressed and get rid of the chains, comb your hair. It says Jesus delivered him. He, he talked to him as a person. And then later on, you says, it says it says he was sitting in the boat in his right mind. Yeah. It, all behavior is purposeful. We can get focused on the behavior or we can get focused on the purpose behind the behavior. If we focus on the purpose, we're caring about the person. Mm. And that's what community group does. It gives us a place to, to care about the person, find out why they're acting the way they, they are. And, and so um, I, I would say to try to focus on that. And then the second thing I would say is it, you all have contact with Matt. Matt, if you want to put my email address out there on this, just be pittenger at battlecreekchurch.com. Um, listen, contact me by email. Uh, God's given me an opportunity to coach churches across the United States and just share uh, all size churches. I was meeting with a guy that they, they had 12 groups and they were in 60 people in the groups and they didn't have Sunday school, but they had groups and was able to talk to him about what they were doing. And he taught me several things, but it's being able to talk together and share. And so yeah. contact me anytime. I would love to share the experiences I've had from a church that was running 56 to a, a church that's running a lot more than that now. In, in any way I can help, I'm available. I, I don't charge. I just will talk to you on the phone. We'll do a phone conference and uh, or Zoom and would just love to help you. That's one of the things that I want to give back. Since we're in a position that God's blessed us, I want to give back because somebody gave to me when I was in a smaller church yeah. and I want to do the same thing. So anything I can ever do to help, please let me know. Man, I, I so appreciate that in your heart. And I, I know if you listen to this, Bob means exactly what he just said. I've known him for a long time, Bob. I, I, we graduated in like 98 and that was like last century. So it, it's crazy. Um, he, he means that. And, um, I, I think one of the things, Bob, I don't know if, if y'all's, if your stuff's copyrighted, but maybe if there's a way for you then to even maybe ask if they can see one of these little videos that you do, just to see the taste in those questions from a random Sunday would be, would be helpful just to, sometimes it's, you know, don't recreate the wheel, but I will take the wheel and painted a different color for my setting because you know things are much different in florida than in than oklahoma so um I, I appreciate you so much and um if you'll stay on the line i'll come back with you in just a minute uh bob I'll, but uh, again thank you so much for coming on tonight yeah thanks for having me hey thank you so much again for joining us tonight here on um, full of bones and uh, we look forward to next week um, i'll be talking with dr richard williamson about pastoring the small church in a post-pandemic um, culture. And I do not believe the small church has felt the full brunt of the pandemic yet. Um, larger churches were able to pull from a greater pool of people. You lose 50 people out of 5,000, it's not that big of a deal. You lose 50 people out of 100, your church all of a sudden is on life support. And we're gonna talk about that next Tuesday night at seven o'clock here on Full of Bones. I hope to have all the audio working better next week, but I appreciate you tuning in tonight. And if you're listening on the podcast uh, audio version, thank you so much. Don't forget facebook.com slash full of bones every Tuesday night for video podcast. 
and you have a great night. Thank you again for joining us tonight on Full of Bones. Don't forget every Tuesday night we have a live video podcast on facebook.com forward slash full of bones. You can also catch an audio version of this on all podcasting platforms. Thank you again for joining us tonight. And as always, have a great week and God bless.